Do you want to stay more focused on the right goals in your life or even just figure out what the right goals are for you? Do you want clarity? Do you want better work-life balance? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to Success Through Failure. Welcome to the Success Through Failure podcast, the show that reveals failure as your path to success. You'll listen to intriguing interviews with some of the most successful people on the planet and learn how their failures became a launchpad for success and how yours can too. Here's your host, former Division I All-American wrestler, former Division I head coach, speaker, and personal coach, Jim Harshaw. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. Today, I bring you Bruce Babishan. When I was a Division I All-American athlete, I was hyper-focused and I was able to take consistent action that allowed me to be one of the best in the country at what I did. Well, for years after I was done competing, I just struggled to stay focused on my goals day in and day out. I was easily distracted, so I wasn't able to stay consistent, the kind of consistency that you need to have to achieve goals that are meaningful to you. It was discouraging for me. I felt like I was just slipping kind of into mediocrity. Then, after interviewing some of the highest performers in the world, Olympians, CEOs, billionaires, best-selling authors, I discovered how they do it. I discovered 18 powerful and sometimes weird tactics that they use to stay focused at work, focused on the right things while also living a balanced life. And if you start using probably just three of these today, you're going to get more done in the next eight hours. I promise. This is not tomorrow, not next week. These will work Today, I guarantee it. It's like magic, but they're real world solutions to it. People like you and me want the ability to stay focused, avoid distraction, and be consistent. I use at least four of them every day and have used all of them at some point. And now I'm able to stay focused while I'm at work and get probably 50 to 100% more done each day. I'm more present when I'm home with my wife and four kids. And the result is I have a stronger relationship with my family. And I'm still able to achieve incredible goals like being selected to give a TEDx talk at one of the biggest TED events in the world, like launching a podcast and talking to A-list guests and running a half marathon, all of this while having a full-time job that includes frequent travel, working nights and weekends and all that good stuff. So you're going to find solutions on this list that are going to surprise you. Grab your copy of the 18 Tactics to Staying Focused at Work. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash focus. That's jimharshawjr.com slash focus. Bruce is a former senior executive at one of the largest C-suite executive search firms in the United States. During that time, Bruce interviewed, consulted for, and worked with hundreds of the nation's top business minds and leaders He then ran a successful business consulting firm called LeaderBridge, which provided a range of business consulting services, including executive coaching and leadership coaching. Bruce is now most well-known as an internationally renowned professional boxing coach and trainer. His athletes have competed at the highest level in the world, including the Olympics at the professional level and have even won world championships. Bruce is the author of the upcoming book, The Boys in Backpacks, and the five levels of commitment, which is going to be available in 2019. I'm looking forward to that coming out. And for the listener, if you don't have time to listen to this entire episode, or if you hear something you like, but you don't have a chance to write it down, make sure you grab your free copy of the action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. Bruce, welcome to the show. Hey, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. 
Well, thank you. We were connected by uh, a mutual friend, Ken Lubin, who uh, of Executive Athletes, who had you on his podcast, and and uh, he said right. that we got to connect, and then uh, looked into your bio and read about you. Man, it's like I, I'm pretty selective in who I bring on the show, and I said, man, this guy, this guy fits the bill. I mean, I'm so interested in hearing more about your story. We started talking before I hit record, you and I started talking. I said, Bruce, let's just save. This is good stuff. Let's just save it for the conversation, for the recorded conversation so that, that the listeners can, can get everything that I'm getting because uh, uh, I just, it's just good stuff. So, so first, tell us this, Bruce. Tell us a little bit more about your background, maybe just kind of a 30,000-foot view, where you grew up and, and sort of the short version of how you got from, from there to where you're at now. Sure. I grew up uh, right outside Washington, D.C. in a community called Silver Spring, Maryland. And, uh, you know, it was really seminal in my sort of maturation as a, as a coach and where I ended up because, uh, probably the most important part of my childhood life was a place called the Silver Spring Boys Club. And it was a place where, you know, I learned about, uh, I was guided and mentored by some great men who were my coaches. And, and, uh, you know, I really sort of, they set, they set the course for me and my brother and, and most of the young men that came through there. And so it was a really tremendous life experience for me. And then I played high school uh, football and, and baseball and, and, and then I uh, went on to college and played baseball. And after college, I thought I was, where did you, know, you I play in college? I had a chance. I played a small school in Maryland called Salisbury. Yep. And, uh, you know, I wanted, I thought I was probably better than I was, but I found the level which I could be competitive and, 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 you know, sort of be at home. And I dreamed of playing big college football, I mean, college baseball, but I didn't have the skill set. So I, I actually found my level and yeah. uh, really had a tremendous coach and a tremendous life experience there as well. And, you know, we were a successful program, went to the small college national championships regularly. And, and then after college got, uh, you know, left and, and, you know, the, the, the competitive aspects in me remained. And so I had to define things. And one of the things I found was I found uh, weightlifting and I was competitive bodybuilder, uh-huh. a competitive powerlifter and had some success as a bodybuilder. And then one day stumbled into the boxing gym and actually I'd been exposed to boxing as a boy at the boys club, boxing and wrestling and basketball and baseball and all the sports. And uh, stumbled into the, the, to the boxing gym as a way of trying to, stay connected to my competitive spirit, my warrior spirit. And, uh, you know, just instantly, the moment I walked in, I knew that there was something about the sport and, and, uh, you know, I would go in every morning at five in the morning and these are, you know, hardcore gyms and, and spar with whoever was in there, the amateurs and the pros. And it really, really satisfied that thing in me, whatever that competitive need for me. And then I would go in after work and do the same thing. And I did that in gyms in DC. And then when I lived in Chicago and in LA and over time, eventually, um, you know, I wasn't really talented. I wasn't specifically gifted. I didn't, I didn't even really have a desire to be, to do those things as a vocation, but they were a tremendous release for me. And I got on with the people in these facilities and eventually the younger kids who were, you know, might have been in these gyms who the coaches, the coaches in the gyms didn't have time for or may not have had, uh, you know, weren't attractive. We're looking for some help. And they saw an older guy in there and they said, hey, would you help me? And it's my nature. And uh, so I started working with them. And the moment I started doing that, um, I understood a bunch of things about myself and that coaching really was my place in the world. And 
So I started doing that and, and helping kids. And I'm talking, you know, these are kids that could barely make a fist at this point, but was real, really rewarded from it. And then my career as a boxing coach grew from those simple moments into something that basically overtook my life and pulled me away from everything I'd been doing previously and, and made this my, my venture in life, my, my place in the world, so to speak. And that's how we got here. So what a transition. Yeah. Executive, yeah. successful executive, you know, yeah. white collar job and then moving into, to, to coaching and what you're doing now. I mean, you, you mentioned something earlier. You mentioned that uh, boxing satisfied your warrior spirit. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I was always a competitive kid and, uh, there was something, two things, you know, there was a, there's a, uh, my father loved boxing and that is something that he and I shared together. We used to watch the fights and go see the fights. And, and back in the old days when, uh, I'm 55, but back in the old days, there was a thing called, uh, wild world of sports. And every time on Saturday yeah. afternoons, wild world of sports come on, we'd always hope that there was a boxing match. And, yeah. you know, I grew up in the era of Ali and Frazier and Foreman. So boxing was very glamorous, very romantic to me. And, you know, those were some of my uh, real heroes in life, sort of iconic figures. So there was a part of me that wanted to identify with them and the romance of boxing. I think that boxing is, is an interesting sport in the sense that it's, you know, it's the sport where the emotions are readily available and the metaphorical nature of the sport really, you know, uh, Rocky is us, so to speak. Everybody likes Rocky because in a small way, we're all trying to you know, fight the good fight, you know, be on our feet at the end with a little pride and dignity. And, and, uh, you know, I think that we all identify with the struggle. So boxing was always a sport that I shared with my father, but I, I felt the romance for, and it was also a sport that quite frankly is quite, you know, quite, you know, uh, harsh in a way. And I just was attracted the moment, you know, I started boxing, the moment I started fighting, it was something that spoke to me, something that I liked to do. And I understood it. I understood, you know, my, my, I guess you'd say my fight IQ was high. I understood fighting. I understood what was happening in the moment as ironically and interestingly, you know, I was exposed to wrestling. One of the most important coaches of my entire life was a guy I had for one year. His name was Mr. Beatty at the Silver Spring Boys Club. I, I remain friends with his son actually today. And he was a renowned uh, local wrestling coach. It's a tremendous coach, a football coach and a, and a wrestling coach. And, you know, he, he has sort of convinced me to participate in wrestling because all the cool guys were doing it at the, at the boys club. And, <laughs> and so I did it and I didn't have an aptitude for it. You know, I just didn't understand it. it. I didn't feel right. It didn't, you know, so I tried really hard and I was coached extremely well. And he coached me through the process of losing and coached me through the process of you know, going out and fighting every day and, 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 and doing my best, but realizing I didn't have an aptitude for it, but it was the exact opposite for fighting. I really had an aptitude. And the moment I did it, I understood it. I understood. I had, you know, I understood what was happening. I understood the space. I understood what the other guy was thinking and doing. So it's just interesting how, you know, certain things speak to you. And yeah. while wrestling didn't, and all my friends were wrestlers, boxing did you know, standing on my feet did. And so that's kind of how I got uh, to that point. Yeah. You know, uh, it's interesting. I, I played football, baseball, soccer as a kid, and those just didn't speak to me. And, you know, the one that did for me was, was wrestling. You know, I started wrestling. Right. And it just kind of clicked with me. It's interesting how, 
you know, this work ethic, this discipline that I learned through wrestling, you apply, could have applied it to other areas and maybe I would have been successful had I stuck to those sports, maybe not, but, um, but wrestling, you know, for whatever reason, it's just, it's funny how these, these certain things stick with you. And, and you mentioned sort of the romanticism of boxing growing up, my dad, and we started, you and I started talking about this before I hit the record button here, but my dad was a boxer. Uh, he was a pretty good boxer just locally mm-hmm. in the Pittsburgh area. And, you know, he and I, same thing, wide world of sports on Saturdays. Uh, and, uh, we'd watch, we'd watch, you know, just, we'd watch the fights when they were on, you know, and he'd always, yeah. he'd always, you know, he, he kind of coached me through how to watch a fight and kind of, you know, the different things that, that you don't know if, unless you've done the sport. It's like wrestling's the same way. You don't know certain things if you'd never, you know, done the sport. And, uh, and so I just have these great memories of watching that with my dad as well. And, and, right. uh, I mean, what a, I, I just, th- there's a certain, there's something special about combat sports. I think all of Absolutely. us have a warrior spirit inside of us, and sometimes it's just Absolutely. sort of subdued because we are in a civilized society, and, 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 that, and that's great. Right. But I think there's just a value to experiencing experiencing combat and getting punched in the face and getting you know hit in the way you do and wrestling across the face and bloody nose and all of those things that come with it, uh, the, the pain and suffering that, that goes into to one-on-one, mano-a-mano, sports that is um that is unique to anything else and so uh one of the reasons why i really wanted to bring you on and you talked bruce about the role of coaches and and you know you mentioned you know you had coaches teach you coach you through the process of of failure and losing um yeah my belief is that and i'd love to get your take on this my belief is that Mm -hmm. You know, when we're athletes, we go through life and, and it's hard, right? Uh, going through being an athlete is hard, trying to succeed, going through success, failure, training. We have coaches who course correct us, who lift us up when we need to lift it up or kick us in the ass when we need a kick. Um, and I think we need that in life too. And I know you've served as an executive coach, as a leadership coach. And, um, I know just, uh, looking at, you know, just checking out your Twitter this morning, uh, you did, recently did a, uh, uh, some coaching, a leadership training program for, for, for some government officials. But what's your take on that? I mean, do people, do you feel like people need coaches, need guidance, need continuing development in, in terms of, uh, in terms of real world outside of sports? Yeah. I mean, you know, a couple of things, my, uh, whatever, I, I, I'm probably too retro here, but whatever is good in me came from two places. It can be truly, uh, you know, drawn back to my parents, of course, and what I learned, you know, from them and, and, and my coaches, I mean, the coaches are incredibly influential in my life and the coaches I've had and the mentors I've had. And when I say coaches, I've had coaches, you know, uh, some very formal, you know, coaches that you and I played sports with and, and, you know, those are formal coaches, but also, uh, guys and, and gals who are my coaches who were informal. You know, they, they played that role for me. I'm, I'm very open to that. I'm very open to this concept of being coached only because I know it's value. It's a very selfish proposition right. for me because I know the value of being coached. And so, you know, uh, I've had both formal and informal and I find, um, you know, look, I, I, there, there are some, you know, it's, it, there is kind of an interesting thing about coaching. Oftentimes the people that you coach in sports or in, or in, or in, uh, in executive coaching, um, are actually quite more talented than you. 
and are better at that yeah. specific thing, but they need guidance. They need a third party objective view of their performance, or right. they need a way to sort of get outside themselves to make decisions. And I think there's very few people I know um, that can't benefit from having somebody like that in their life. And, and uh, so I think it's real important. I think the moment that you close yourself off to that, you become smaller and you become less. And I think, uh, you know, uh, you know, most of the really sharp folks I know always stay open to learning, always stay open to that. And of course it's, it's important, you know, to, that, you know, you're as a coach or whatever, you know, your place too. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a time and a place for everything. And, and, uh, you know, so oftentimes, you know, it, it may be our nature to coach, but maybe not their nature at that moment to be receptive. And you also have to call your shots there too. You know, when, when, when is it time to coach? When is it not, you know? And so, yeah, man. So, uh, generally speaking, it's been my life experience that the really sharp people, the people that I, that I admire most, the people I want to emulate, the people that I want to, you know, I read a book about John Wooden once and he was talking about, you know, how he continued to learn all the way up to the end. And I said, you know, if, if, if a guy like John Wooden is learning, you know, yeah. a, a guy like me, you know, I, I, it's the least I can do. So. Bruce, you've been in a in a some in the unique position of being in a you know very successful in the corporate world and now very successful in boxing and coaching boxing. What in coaching, obviously, some some very successful boxers. What are the similarities that you see in success in those two roles? I mean, you've seen successful business leaders. You've seen obviously elite boxers that you've worked with. What are the similarities you see that help people be successful? Well, it's interesting because uh, when you were talking earlier, you said something and I, it just got me to thinking um, you were talking about, you know, that warrior spirit. I had mentioned it and you had sort of, you know, brought it back up. And, and I remember being at the boys club, being on the back stoop of the building and I was there with a, with a, with a, a coach of mine, little league football coach at the time. And, uh, this man had just gotten off the bus and it was, uh, we were there after, obviously, you know, we're after five, after our parents dropped us off, but this man had just gotten off the bus and he had his suit on and he had his, you know, had his, had his briefcase. And, and he said, uh, Bruce, what do you see there? And I said, uh, I see a man getting off the bus coach. What do you see? He says, I see a guy dressed in his battle gear. Huh. And, you know, I said to myself, I, I mean, you know, here I am at this extremely young age, but I understood exactly what Mr. Rennie was saying to me. And he said that, you know, that jacket is the same as your shoulder pads. You know, that wow. briefcase is his helmet. He's, you know, that guy goes to war every day and you're playing for, you know, you're playing for your team or you're playing for the boys club here or whoever it is. And he's playing for his family. And that never, that, that, that moment stayed with me. It was never lost on me. And, you know, to go to your question specifically, I think it's identical. I mean, I think it's identical. I think, you know, uh, we all go to war, we go to battle. I think it's our nature. And I think, uh, to a large degree, when I see, you know, when I, when I've interviewed and talked to, and, you know, when I was at this firm and I was meeting these folks, I was not of them. 
you know, it was my job. I was, you know, you know, how I even got that job was very interesting. A, a gentleman in that firm, uh, a guy who sort of, uh, was a former CEO, uh, COO, I think at Hasbro toys had met me in passing and, and sort of stayed in touch with me and contacted me right when I needed to have contact. You know, I needed help. I was, I needed somebody to come help me. And, you know, I'd done a lot of praying on it and, you know, said, come on, man, you know, my, I, I can't, I, you know, and this guy called me at the right time and offered me this job. So, you know, I, even there, I was not specifically of that world of the corporate world, but he, he saw something in me and, and luckily what he saw in me was able to allow me to really excel in that space. But, uh, I find the mindset and the temperament and I find the values of the people who are truly out there doing this very, very, very similar. And, you know, if you, you know, the, the, I, I, I'm a reader and I watch a lot of good things out there. And, I, you know, if you just substitute words, you know, uh, if you just substitute words, you can always hear almost the same mantras, the same yeah. mindsets, the same, you know, in business and in, and in sports. Yeah. So yeah. I think they're identical. I think they're identical. And I think that you can, you know, we can, you know, begin to identify, you know, the competitive nature and, 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 and what those elements are. But first, I just think they're identical. I think the same thing that makes you a tremendous, the thing that made Dan Gable, you know, the, the most, the greatest wrestler in the minds of many people, you know, are, is the same thing that, you know, you think about with Steve Jobs working for, you know, yeah. you know, or, I, or, or, you know, I remember re- reading an article about, um, uh, uh, What's the what's the gentleman's name from Microsoft? It's skipping. It's, uh, uh, Steve, um, Bill Gates. <laughs> Bill Gates, right? I was reading an article about Bill Gates, and he was just talking about how he, you know, how he would, you know, s- they'd sleep in sleeping bags, and they work, you know, twenty hours a day, and they were just, you know, they were they were roughing it because because they weren't really into any of the any of the the frills. They were into the into the challenge, into the moment, into the thing, and you know. And I remember stories of Dan Gable about how he would, you know, compete and then, and then go right back to work the same day, you know, go right back to train yeah. the same day to get the jump on the guy right. the next year. And all of those things are identical to me. So I don't think there's a, I don't think in the human state in people, how people are, I don't think that there's a difference. I just think it's that we're, you know, one guy goes to war in a suit and tie and another guy goes to war with his boxing gloves. And I think the virtues are the same and the goals are the same and the ideas are the same. And I think that, uh, you know, uh, if in the heart of the, of the, of a best business guy is, is, you know, is the heart of a warrior. So same thing, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, you, you talk about these five levels of commitment, which I want to hear more about. It, which is the subtitle of your book, but it's this commitment. Right. When you make this commitment to 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 your job or to your family or to boxing or, or to anything else in life, you know, when you make that commitment, you can do things that that are hard. You can do really hard things when you make a commitment. If you don't make a commitment, then you can't do the you can't do the hard thing. If you make a commitment to losing twenty pounds, you can't. You can walk. You can you can walk past the the birthday cake in the in the conference room and sure. at work at lunchtime, right? But if you if you don't make right. that commitment, then if you're not committed, you stop and you eat the cake, right? I mean, it's it's yeah. it's yeah. whatever you know. You can apply that to any area of your life, and that it makes a lot of sense, yeah. Bruce. I think uh, 
you know, I think that one of the things, one of the uh, incredible experiences that I've had as a coach is um, to understand and to see, you know, these aren't abstract kids. You know, they, they, you know, these are, these are boys and girls who are very real. And I know that the, my exposure in this sport has brought home to me in real life, what some people are truly willing to do to achieve their goals in life. And it's humbling. It's humbling. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I grew up in, you know, in, you know, uh, middle-class suburbia and, uh, you know, I was a competitive athlete and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, uh, I never felt like I was wanting or needing and, and, uh, you know, uh, certainly not, certainly not poor and certainly not rich right in the middle, sort of, I grew up during the wonder years, you know, that, that whole, that whole middle-class America, the rise of the middle-class and, yeah. and, but I have learned through fighting, um, and what some boys and girls are willing to do. And that's actually the name of the, that's where the name of my book comes out is this is, you know, it's the boys in backpacks because I tell a story, you know, so often about this kid who, uh, you know, this man showed up at my gym one day and asked me if I would take a phone call. And this happens frequently, you know, these kids, they want to, you know, the, the father will come in or somebody will come in and say, well, you train my son. And I have to sit down and explain to him how difficult the sport is and encourage them to do something else. And he, and he gave me this phone and I saw this boy on the phone. They must've been doing one of these, uh, these, these, you know, these face thing, whatever. FaceTime, yeah. And the boy, yeah, FaceTime. And he didn't, you know, he didn't speak English and he looked at me and smiled and I looked over at the man and said, look, I really don't have time. I'm working, but if you could get him here, I'll train him. And that was the end of it. And about five, six months later, you know, I look up and there's this boy, uh, standing in the doorway of my gym with a backpack. And he had, uh, packed up everything, his entire, his entire, uh, life, you know, and walked away from his from his, uh, you know, his, his left, his, his mom and his dad and, and, you know, traveled halfway around the world from Romania. He's from this, I wow. find out he's from this really small town in Romania, no money, uh, you know, gets to my gym, shows up and knows two words of English. As soon as I see his face, I knew who he is. I remember him. I walk over to him, can't communicate with him. First two words. And the only two words of English he knows are me champion. Wow. So, Wow. So, you know, I, I began Commitment. to work with him and com- unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable packed everything he had up, you know, where are you staying? I don't know. What are you going to be? And I don't know, you know, and <laughs> this is the thing about commitment. Wow. Yeah. You know, this is the thing is that, and I say this all the time, when you are committed, this boy shows up committed to this level. And I have, I'll, I'll in the off time, I'll shoot you this picture. I got this picture of this, uh, uh, somebody took about six months ago and sitting on the corner of my ring is a kid from Romania, a kid from Africa, a kid from Mexico, a kid from Pakistan, wow. one of my assistant coaches and me, wow. and they're all the same kid. And, and, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, these, you know, willing to do anything. And what is interesting about their level of commitment is that without saying a word to me, they inspired me to be a better coach. Wow. You know, I felt so much pressure when he came, when he showed up, you know, I'm in there every day working 
my tail off. You know, you, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a full on 24 seven, you know, go after it guy. I, I consider myself an extremely hard worker, you know, uh, until I really see a hard worker, but I see, you know, I consider myself on that cutting edge of hard work and sacrifice and giving to my kids. Yeah. But when you run across kids that are willing to be this committed to something, you know, it, it, it ups your game. It you says to yourself, you know, you know, first of all, that is a kid that's committed to his dream. That's a kid. Am I willing to do that? Right. Do I have, you know, I, I point out to the kids all the time. I say, you know, I can, some of you guys can't get here to practice on time. Yeah. That kid traveled halfway around the world with a backpack. Yeah. Doesn't know where he's going to eat and sleep, what he's going to do. And he's here and he doesn't ask for a thing. He doesn't come here with a pre-described, you know, you know, I'm here, you know, I'm present. So I, I deserve something. He doesn't ask for anything. He goes to work. He couldn't, he couldn't wait to get to work. He couldn't wait to get to work. And we start working and working and working and his commitment to this and his sacrifice took everybody around all of us, all the coaches and said, we got to do good for this kid. Yeah. You know, the obligation to meet this kid's level of expectation and to meet this kid's level of commitment is now upon us. And to, I can tell you a long story about this kid, but to make a real long story short this past weekend, I was on the phone negotiating this kid's first title fight. Wow. World title fight. Okay. <laughs> and that is, you know, and I talk to my football players. I coach high school football as well. And I talk to my high school football players. I said, you guys, you think you're committed. I said, you know, you're not committed. You're committed to the idea. You're committed to what you think you, what you think commitment is, but are you willing to do that? And are you willing to, by doing that, you understand that you draw everybody with you. You, yeah. take, you give other people the permission to commit themselves. And all of a sudden, through your single behavior, so your commitment, everybody else's game elevates. Because, you know, American kids or kids of privilege a lot of times, uh, we don't realize how good we got it here. Yeah. And, and oftentimes there's this expectation that, that if I show up, you need to coach me. I'm here. I got talent. You need to coach me. And these kids don't have that. These kids show up and say, I'm here. I don't know what kind of talent I have, but I'm willing to find out. I'm going to, I'm going to inspire you to coach me. They don't ask for anything. You just run over to help, you know? And so, you know, I've learned from these kids what it means to be committed. I've had to readjust my own you know, my own commitment levels, although I've done things in my life that I say, look back and go, man, I really, I'm proud of myself. You know, there are certain people that do things and you say, do I have that in me? You know, am I, you know, I'm willing to do anything. I, you know, that's a cliche, but not really. Well, when you run into one of those kids, you know, when he shows up every day, you know, that kid ended up, I ended up bringing that kid into my home. I ended up, you know, like sort of, you know, people just rallied around him. When people heard his story, people came out of the woodwork to help. Sure. People came out of the woodwork to help. Because, you know, and, it's a you know, money well spent and it's time and money and energy well spent because he's committed. Absolutely. He's yeah. committed. And, you know, you don't even know what the outcomes, especially in this sport, you don't know what sure. the outcomes would be. But now yeah. he's, you know, he's ranked 10th in the world. Wow. And, you know, for him to come from there to here, he's undefeated. 
he's on the verge of, you know, in the next year becoming, you know, a very wealthy kid. Yeah. That man. is, that is amazing. And Bruce, that level if, of commitment is rare. If that happens, you've got to let us know. I know the people, oh, my audience listening to this, when this kid strikes it, you know, rich in, in, in every way, you know, rich in success, <laughs> yeah. but rich in wealth. I mean, if that happens for this kid, man, I want to know, and I want to share it with my, with my podcast community. I'll just Absolutely. mention it on his, the podcast. His, his name future. is Alexandru Marin. Alexandru and, uh, Marin. Alexandru Marin. And, okay. uh, you know, he's just, uh, just, uh, uh, a good young man who's, you know, who's on this question and, and I'm fortunate enough. And I, you know, and, and one of the things I, I had, uh, I had wrote something um, about, I don't know, whenever that Colin McGregor uh, Mayweather fight was, yeah. I'm a contributor to one of the, you know, the online, uh, the, uh, you know, boxing, the large boxing websites. And they said, well, you write something about it. And I said, I'm going to write something. I said, you may not like it. And I said, I'm not going to. And when I did, I wrote this article about me not participating and me not watching it. And yeah. I said, it's not because I disrespect Conor McGregor. Uh, I said, but I do respect all the kids like this kid who are out there traveling the world, you know, and, and sacrificing all for their sport. Conor McGregor is a tremendous athlete and a tremendous warrior. I have utmost respect for both his skill level, what he's done. I truly admire his, you know, his, his, what him and Floyd put together from a business standpoint. It has nothing to do with that, but I'm a coach of a, of a a sport of boxing. And when you see what these kids are willing to do to get their chance and they don't get their chance in the light, sometimes they don't get the chance to dance up on the, on the stage after incredible amounts of sacrifice. It's, it's, you know, I said, I'm not disrespecting Floyd or, or Connor, I'm respecting those boys. Yeah, that's awesome. You know? And so, you talk, tell us about the five levels of commitment. What are these five levels of commitment that you talk about? Well, interestingly, you know, uh, the way that this came about is, uh, you know, these boys and kids like like Alex would show up at my gym, and I really couldn't, I couldn't communicate that with them in English, and uh, so I started uh, figuring out ways to talk to them by by but go about, uh, you know, uh, levels of committing themselves to, to, uh, to their goals. And I started drawing diagrams and basically, you know, to help your audience out, since we can't do it in, in great detail here, if you're, if you're listening and you have a moment, you know, and you have a piece of paper in front of you, right. I want you to draw a circle, a square and a triangle with the base, you know, at the bottom and the, and the, t- and the tip at the top. And then a straight line, a vertical line. Uh, so you have four, you have four shapes: a circle, a square, a triangle, and a straight line. And this became the way that I use. I, I described how people are, go about the process of achievement. I call it the season of achievement. You know, and kids and in these spaces, in the circle or in the box and in the triangle, you, you, the X's are the people you you put in your life and who you spend your time with. And each one of the angles is where you spend your time and going from left to right, from the circle to the line, you'll notice that the space inside the box gets smaller and that the number of places where you spend your time gets smaller. Mm. So with the circle, that's basically an unfocused athlete or an unfocused kid. 
Yeah. He has his life full of, you know, life. He's, this is the kid that you run into that loves the idea of being successful, has all the swag, the new gear, right. But it's never truly, truly focused or committed. And they fill their lives with people who aren't really assets to them achieving their goals. And if you move to the right, now you're into the box, the square, you notice there's four angles. People usually in this area spend their life at home in one angle. They go to school, work in the next angle. They go to the next, uh, they go spend their life, you know, working on their dream in one corner, but then the other corner, they have a social life and a, a life of recreation. And these people in the season of achievement, I talk about to my athletes, especially, I said, this is, sounds very reasonable. This is what you've been told all your life that you've got to have balance in your life if you're going to achieve great things. And I said, this is where my philosophy on achieving great things differ from the, the you know, what, what the mainstream tells you. You know, I think that uh, a reasonable approach to, to achieving extraordinary things is the wrong way to go. And I think that you have to move to the next box, which is the next shape over, which is a triangle. It only has three angles in it. The top angle is home. The bottom angle is work or school. And, and the other angle, right, is your dream. And it's a smaller place. Hmm. And you only fill your life with people who are, you know, your wife, your daughter, your sister, your family, your workplace, right, your boss, your coworkers, yeah. and then people who help you on your dream. And then the last one is a vertical line straight up and down. <laughs> and these people only spend their lives in two places. They go home and they go to their dream. This is the Bill Gates this is Alex. Yeah. These are people who accomplish extraordinary things in the season of achievement. Cause you, it's hard to sustain this. It's hard to, you know, and ultimately you do want to get back to the, to having a reasonable balance in your life. But if you're out there, if your goal is, I hear this all the time, business generators or sports guys, I want to be a champion. Do you, you, you want to be a champion? Then you're going to have to live. You're going to have to live a different life. You know, being extraordinary is, is a process of exclusion, not inclusion. You're going to have to exclude many things from your life. You have to exclude many people from your life. And you're going to have to focus your life on two very simple things, home and your dream. Because if you won't do that, there's Alex's all over the place that will. There's Bill Gates's all over the place that will. And unless you're willing to be that guy or girl, then that's what you're up against. And, you know, you talk to, you know, this, you talk to people every day, they're out there every day doing their thing. And, you know, there's a, you know, they're, they're dissatisfied with their station in life. They want more, yeah. but they're unwilling to make the exclusions that are required for them to be great. And That's they right. live in that place. I call, I call that the betweenness, right? Right. You know, they're stuck in this betweenness over and over. I want to be great. I'm supposed to be something. I hear them, you know, I feel deeper inside me that I'm supposed to do something, but I don't know what it is or when I do, you know, and what they do is they dabble in their lives. Right. And I say this about myself. I don't compliment myself much at all, but you know, when I, when I moved from one life to the the next and I, you know, start coaching full time, that is a significant economic hardship compared to where you previously were. Hmm. And, you know, that you have to, you know, I have to, I had to accept that this, that there was no guarantees. And listen, that, you know, you have a better chance of winning the lottery than making money in boxing. You always see this at the very top of the game. You see, you know, the, the guys who make most money, 99.999% of boxers make no money. 
You know, it's just the nature of the sport. So, you know, here I am entering this thing, doing this thing, and I'm going to try and fight my way to the top of this sport um, or to make money, turn this sport into a living of some sort. And, you know, uh, I've had modest success at it. And, and, and there's guys that are much better than me and gals that are much better than me. But, you know, I think to myself, wow, I really, you know, I, I, I took a shot. I'm taking a shot. I really, I rolled the dice here. And unless I was willing to do that and, and devote myself to this, uh, and then I don't really deserve, you know, what it is I want and, and, you know, compared to other people. And so I always say this, that, you know, I can go into that in more detail, but the, the, the five levels really are, you know, what is your level of commitment? Cause most people walk around thinking they're committed to something until they're, they're given a stark example of what commitment really looks like. And then they have to go into the internal conversation. How bad do I really want it? You know, and, and at that, the end of the day, most people live in that betweenness and they don't want it as bad as they, they say they do. And then when you surround yourself with the right people who are committed, then you go, ah, that's what it looks like. Right. And I was just talking exactly. to my son a couple of days ago about, you know, he, he plays soccer. He's 12. I said, you never want to be the best player on the field. Because if you are, you're you're on the wrong field. You got to find. You got to be somewhere where where you can see somebody who has a higher level of commitment than you, and that's the standard, right? The standard isn't you. Yeah. And I remember, you know, being in my wrestling room at the University of Virginia, and I was, you know, I there were wrestlers in there who were better than me for sure. And but I I always said to myself, like, the standard is not what I see in here. The standard is like is the best guys in the country, the, the best in the world. Like that's the stand, that's the work ethic standard is not right. just what I see in my bubble, but like, like there's, there's people out there working even harder. And I would always imagine that guy. And I would imagine him waking up early and I would imagine him being on the airdyne bicycle, you know, going through, through ridiculous workouts and going, or, or, or carrying that, you know, carrying the 50 pound plate, 45 pound plate above my head, walking up and down, running up and down the stadium stairs going, gosh, he's going faster than me. I got to catch him. I got to pass yeah. him. And that's, that's, that's commitment. And that's what we talk about with, you know, I talk about this on my podcast, Bruce. I talk about this a lot with my clients. It's like, who are you surrounding yourself with? And what, that's the level, that's the standard. And when you surround yourself with the wrong people, then that you, you're, you're settling for, for mediocrity in the average. Right. Exactly. But when you, when yep. you surround yourself with other people, it's, it, it it's harder. It's a tougher life, right? Life is tougher. But, but, you know, if you talk about commitment and this, this, this success that we want, then you have to go from the circle to the line. And I drew this out in front of me while you're doing this, Bruce. And yeah. what, what a fantastic, visible way to understand commitment. I love that. Thank you. And, and it's interesting. Like I, you know, uh, when you, we, all of us from time to time, I know me personally, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I get interest. I, I think about myself as being, you know, uh, and I think about my own problems and my own, and I'm, am I working hard? And you, you just start talking, you know, iron sharpens iron. And, you know, that's a, that's a very common phrase in fighting. So when you got a guy and, you know, we want to make Alex better, we want to make one of the other fighters in the gym better. We don't, we don't put him in, like you were saying with an average fighter who, who we put him in with the best guys. Because the best guys make other guys great. And when you are around a group of people and they see you that you're committed to this, when, you know, when, when they say, I want to be with, and that everybody's game elevates. When everybody's game elevates, everybody's game elevates. And, you know, you get 
a group of tremendously talented people and you get a group of tremendously talented people who are committed, then all of a sudden you start seeing tremendous, great things happening. And that's where champions are built and world champions are, you know, there's plenty of people, you know, what is the common phrase? There's, you know, the world's full of educated derelicts and, and, you know, one of the, you know, one of the biggest cliches that we all know is the cautionary tales that you and I grew up with. Yeah. You know, the kids with all the talent and all the gifts yeah. and why didn't they, why didn't they achieve They're a dime a dozen because they lived in that circle their whole lives, unable, really unable to do the things and to commitment isn't just about its effect on you and your drive towards the goal. It's, a, it's about the effect that you have on yourself and everyone around you. And through that process, everybody's game goes up everybody's game is elevated and that's that mystical 1% we always talk about, you know, we talk about, you know, what's the difference maker, you know, that thin line, that very almost imperceivable line, but you know, with tremendous distinction, that's the difference in a lot of cases that these guys are so committed that they raise the game of everyone around them by their level of commitment in that group, that unity raises that kid up to the next level or raises that team up to the next level. That's undefinable, you know? So, so I agree with you hundred percent. And, and, you know, Dan Gable has always been, I keep going to wrestling because, uh, because of your background, but it's so relevant to me because Dan Gable has always, I must've used him 10 million times. I grew up with a guy, you might know this guy's name. He was actually older than me. His name's Kelly Ward. Uh, Kelly Ward. I think it was I at Iowa or Iowa name. state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was a two time national. He was like sure. one of my, he was a little older than me and he was at the boys club, Robin. He was a guy who was gifted, but I remember seeing him and he, me being exposed for the first time to somebody who was truly great at something, you know, truly magnificent at something, truly gifted at something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and just like, you know, that, that to this day, I remember him and I remember his effect on me and I don't even, you know, Kelly was, was older, so he doesn't even really know me other than by name. By his sheer presence, I got better. Yeah, yeah, I do know that you know name. I, mean? I think uh, he has some wrestling camps and stuff like that, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, yeah, I remember, exactly. Yeah, I do remember his yeah. name. Yeah, yeah. When you're yeah, around yeah. those people, and those are the people who I aspired to be like growing up. And and like you, you talked about these, these people that uh, that that we watch and 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 hold ourselves to to their standard. And and in our last few minutes together, Bruce, I want to hear a story about failure. Okay. We talked about the struggle and, and, mm. and, uh, Alex's struggle. Maybe it's, maybe it's a failure that you experienced. Maybe it's, maybe it's one of your fighters. Um, but if, but, but a right, moment where right. there was this, this failure that happened that, that created this sense of doubt and hopelessness and despair, even that, mm-hmm. that eventually, uh, whether yourself or, or somebody else, uh, one of your fighters moved through and eventually found success. Sure. So, so, uh, you know, uh, I was thinking about this when I, uh, you, you, you run across people that say, I have no regrets. Uh, I, I'm not one of them. I have a lot of regrets. I have a thousand of them. Some of them are my own doing. And some of them are things that happened, you know, that I was a part of. Um, and I have, uh, you know, I have as many, well, uh, quite frankly, if we're keeping a statistic, I'm, you know, uh, you know, I, I fail far more than I, than I achieve as a coach. And, you know, most of, you know, although I've had, uh, success as a coach, we tend to judge success at the top. I've had many, 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 many fighters who have 
lost many, 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 many fights and bouts and stuff like that. And I was thinking of this question earlier because, uh, I wanted to answer from a unique position. Uh, um, I had, I have a, uh, one of the greatest things I get to do as a coach and you'll appreciate this more than most people. One of the greatest things I get to do as a coach is to coach kids through the process of failing. And, you know, you train hard. They do everything you say. They, they give you a hundred percent of themselves. You have, yeah. you have succeeded as a coach. You have maximized the ability of this kid. They give you everything. And then they go out there and they get crushed. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, and, and, you know, that for me and the kind of coach that I am, you know, I live for my boys. I live for my girls. So when they lose it, t- it, you know, it hurts my heart. And so, cause I, we put, you know, we put that much into it and we, and, you know, and I love my kids. And so when a kid loses, when he looks at me and he, and I see, you know, in that look, in that moment, you know, the unexpected outcome, cause I've been telling him or her, you know, that this is what it takes. This is what it takes. And they do all of that and they still come out on the, the short end of the stick, you know, besides that hurting their heart and my heart, that's one of the great moments a coach has to teach about, yeah. you know, what it is to be resilient in life, what it is to understand that there is no absolutes. There are no pure answers. There is no perfection is that, you know, that failure is as much a part of this process and success. And sometimes it's unjust. Sometimes right. it's not fair. Sometimes it's the way it is. And you define yourself in that moment. As my athlete or as a coach, you define yourself. What do we do now? And so after a big loss, it's not the loss that I always wait till the next practice day. And I'm anxious to see who walks in the door. You know, we go to tournaments all the time and and I'll have a kid who, you know, poured himself into the endeavor or herself into the endeavor. And all of a sudden we lose or we have a football game on a Friday night and we get smoked. And, you know, it's hard. And I'm always looking the next day who shows up and what do they have in their heart that day they show up. And that's when you get to really sort of define kids as, you know, and yourself, you know, how hard am I coaching today? You know, how much do I believe in the things that I say to these kids? When we just went out there and I poured my heart and any guy who's been a coach or any woman who's been a coach knows that these moments happen far more frequently than the other way. Yeah. And that, you know, if you're going to play around at the top and you're going to try and play around in the competitive sport and you're going to, you know, then you're going to have to take your lumps. And so for me, uh, having, you know, having so many times lost when I wanted to win and, and, um, you know, I always think of this as the most important thing, you know, and we have this saying in my gym and we say it on the football field constantly. And it's a message I think is really important for kids. We have this saying, it says, no one's coming to save you. Yeah. And it's really a comment about, you know, this is it. This is life. This is life. You worked your butt off and you got beat. Don't look around for somebody to hand you something. Don't look around for somebody to feel sorry for you. Save yourself. Get back to work. Mm. Get back to work. And so, you know, my, uh, my, my, uh, you know, l- losing is the, the greatest opportunity to teach and to coach. But it's also, 
it's the greatest opportunity to hold a mirror up, you know, and say, you know, who, who am I as a coach and who are you as an athlete? It's easy when you win, <laughs> you know, it's easy when you win, it's hard when you lose and you know that better than anyone. So, yeah. so that's my, that's my, my losing wow. comment, man. You know? So for the listener, <laughs> So many great takeaways from this episode. I've got a bunch of quotes written down already here in my notes that are going to be included in the action plan. Uh, no one's coming to save you is a beautiful one. Uh, you yeah. define yourself by how you respond to failure is another one. Uh, earlier, you mentioned one guy goes to war in a suit and tie. Another guy goes to war with boxing gloves. It's the same thing. Right. And, uh, yep. And, um, man, just, just so many more here, Bruce. Wow. Just wow. Um, Tell us, tell us how we can find you, or the listener can find you, follow you, uh, eventually get your book, etc. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess the I'm not a I'm not a I'm I'm not a great marketing guy, and so the best way to 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 to, to find me is I have a a website. It's nothing spectacular. I, I did it on Wix. I just started to, to sort of put myself out there. It's a www.yourcornerman.com, and I'm I'm it's about me, yourcornerman.com, or you could email me at Bruce B at your cornerman.com. And, uh, or you can go on Facebook under Bruce Babishan. And, and, uh, I think I'm on Twitter, although, uh, somebody that one of the kids at the gym does a lot of that for me, cool. I'm learning all this stuff and I'm on Instagram, <laughs> but, but you know, and, and which is fun by the way, but yeah, yeah I mean, if, if you ever want to talk or if you want me to, you know, if you want to chat about coaching or thoughts or anything like that, feel free to contact me anyway. I, I get a great joy in my life from uh, passing on everything that I'm, that I sort of do as a coach, I'm passing on. You know, I've been fortunate to have great coaches and to remember them and to uh, try and honor them. And so, you know, I'm open all the time to talk about coaching because it's, you know, it's my place in the world, I guess. And it's how I get, it's how I live with high purpose. So feel free to contact me anytime. Excellent. And Bruce, wow. Powerful discussion. Uh, can't thank you enough for making time to come on the show for the listener. Go to Jim com slash action and grab your copy of the action plan. We'll have Bruce's uh, email address, his website, his social media, everything linked in there. So you can find him easily. If you want to, bring him in to speak to your organization, talk about coaching, whatever the case might be. So Bruce, thank you. Thank you, man. I, I really enjoyed myself and I truly appreciate the opportunity. And for the listener, until next time, take the time to get clear on your goals and embrace failure as a stepping stone on your path to success. Mm-hmm.